0: and laughs theater of the mind the best love programs from radio's golden age only on zoomer radio now here is your master storyteller frank proctor
1: well thank you and welcome to the show our first presentation tonight is yours truly johnny dollar Now, he's an insurance investigator who carefully records every cent that he spends while in the employ of his home office, and he winds up getting involved in some really scary situations in the course of his investigations. Tonight, we present the episode, Dead First Helpers.
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. This is Bill Hudson, Johnny. Grand Industrial Authority. Remember? How could I forget? Who's the assembly
3: line busted down this time? It's steel,
2: Johnny. Cornell Steel, Pittsburgh. Lots of so-called accidental deaths from the open house furnaces. Frankly, it smacks of murder to me.
3: Could be hot work. I'll bring my sweatshirt. When's the next plane for Smokeville?
2: Edmund O'Brien in another transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
4: Expense
3: account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Great Industrial Assurance Corporation of America, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of the dead first helpers. Expense account, item one. Eighty-three dollars and twenty-four cents plane fare to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. the land of chimneys and open-house furnaces where I met Supervisor Joel Barrett.
5: Five men in a single month, Mr. Dollar. All of them first helpers.
3: What's a first helper?
5: Well, it goes like this. The milter foreman is in charge of a number of furnaces. The first helper is in charge of an individual furnace. Under him are the second helpers and the snaps.
3: I see. Well, how did the deaths occur?
5: In a number of ways. One man tumbled down a flight of stairs. Two were killed by a crane magnet. Another one fell from the pouring platform. And just last week, one of our best men was killed in an explosion of a hot cap mold.
3: You better explain that one.
5: Uh, Certain types of steel have to be capped after they've been poured from the ladle to the ingot, you see. Sometimes the pressure is so great inside of them that when the pourers shoot water on the cap to seal it, the cap flies off and sprays a man with molten steel. Uh, I've seen it happen only once, Mr. Dollar. That's enough for me. Any connection between
3: these deaths? How do you mean? I mean any common denominator, anything that could provide a motive for murder.
5: None that I know of, uh, except for the fact that all the men had been with us for a long time, 15 or 20 years.
3: Just the boys who know their way around, eh? That's
5: what's so strange, Mr. Dollar. None of them have ever been found to ignore safety regulations. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, how do you plan on proceeding?
3: Well, it's been my experience that plant investigation from the outside is pretty often a waste of time. The men are on their guard. You want to go right to work in the shop? What did you say they call the lowest man on the open house furnace?
5: Cinder snap.
3: Well, you break out the overalls, Mr. Barrett. We'll see how good I am at snapping cinders. <laughs> Expense account item two, 25 cents for work cap. Every other item of equipment provided by the company. Expense account item three, $1 for blister salve and adhesive tape for hands after first eight hours of work. Expense account item four, 75 cents for liniment for back after second eight hours of work. Expense account item five, $10 first union fees, United Steelworkers CIO. Footnote, the fourth day on the job is the hardest.
6: Dollar. Yeah. Silicon! What? Silicon! We'll fall! Come on! Right. Go! Go Yeah? Get on the rock! They're tapping planes. Get on the rock! Right! Dollar! Yeah? Where's the Silicon? Oh, well, I gotta get on the ride!
3: The The routine was a killer, but more and more I felt myself becoming a part of the making of steel. It's really something to watch the straight white hot steam pound into the ingot molds from the ladles. And I began to know these men whom you never hear about. The men with the big backs and the soaking red bandanas around their waists. Like Andre with the funny last name who got a kick out of helping me along. That's all right, Dora. You get the swing of it. It's not half so hard like you think. After a while, you get strong, get tough like nails. Oh, my aching back. Bet you never eat so good, huh? Bet you never sleep so good. Oh, I dream about lime-silicon ratios. You won't see turn tomorrow? Yeah, if you mean the midnight shift, yeah. Good, you be with me. i show you lots of things. Well, I don't mind the work, but frankly, I'm scared. You work good. They not fire you. It's not that, Andre. I mean, cranes and scrap cars and ladles of steel, 3,000 degrees hot. You learn how to go around, you have no trouble. You remember the rule, you have no trouble. You'll be fine. Maybe. But some of the boys were saying that five men died in the last month. And boys that should know how to get around. Right, Andre? Accidents always happen. Fools, the old ones, they are the careless ones. They know, they think they know so well the rule, and they slip and poof. Yeah, you said it. Poof. <laughs> Sometimes it isn't so easy to make friends in a steel mill. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you know that you've lived too soft a life to ever get information from a steel man like Joe Poland. I found him in the company cafeteria. Where do you come? Chicago. You don't look Chicago. What do I look? You look from office building. Where you was before? Office building. Your hand like baby, soft like milk. How'd they take you? Guess I've got an honest face. What? Give it. Eat your soup. It's getting cold. Yeah. Kurt Brody. What you say? Nothing. Just Kurt Brody. Kurt Brody. How you know Kurt Brody? He dead when you come. I know. Killed by a hot cap mold. Kurt Brody friend. I like him. What good? Who was working with him, Joe? Macaloni. Glad it wasn't me. I'd hate to have that on my conscience. You nosy. You maybe work for Barrett. Barat. I don't like. Finish your soup, Joe. It's getting cold. Yeah. Then there was Fred, another first helper, who helped me understand the general feeling about Mr. Barrett. You'll learn what it's like, Dollar. You married? Not yet. Well, if you were married and maybe had a couple of kids, you'd find out. You'd lie awake
2: at night and you'd wonder, will it be me Will I get that blue slip tomorrow? What if something happened to me? Would she get anything from the insurance? Things like that.
3: How long you been here? Five years. And tomorrow they can say, that's all, friend. Where are you? You sound like you know your way around, Fred. What's your idea on these
2: accidents? Accidents? No such thing as an accident, Dollar. People who want to live cross the street with the light. Same way in steel. Like
3: Kirk Brody killed last week. I decided to pay Kirk Brody's widow a call. But there was so little to go on, I had nothing to lose. She lived in a cold water flat. There was still a black wreath in the door. Yes? Mrs. Brody?
5: That's right.
3: I wonder if I could see you for a moment. I'm with Cornell Steele.
5: Come in. Won't you sit down?
3: Thanks. My name is Dollar. I'm investigating the accidents that occurred in the open hearts, Mrs. Brody. I'm sorry to trouble you about it, but there are some things I have to know.
5: Kirk was the last one.
3: It happened three weeks ago, is that right?
5: Yeah. Three weeks ago, Tuesday.
3: On the accident report, it said he was killed when a hot cap... Blew off a mold. I knew it would happen, Mr. Dollar. I knew it would happen.
5: It was as if I could have stopped it. Oh, Kirk was always careful. Always. Only that day when he left the house, I had a feeling something was
3: going to happen. I said, Kirk, please be careful. He
5: smiled. I was the last I... I spoke.
3: I won't trouble you any further, Mrs. Brody.
5: Oh, Nora, I want to tell you what's happening, Mr. Dollar. I'll tell you what it is. It was this way with Kirk. It's this way with the others. It's their jobs. They're scared for their jobs. You want to investigate. You want to investigate Barrett. He's the one to investigate. Huh. hope nobody saw you come in here.
3: Nobody did, Barrett. Uh, what'd you find out? Well, nothing you could call factual, but there's some kind of tension in the shop. Something's going on.
5: Well, uh, production is holding its own.
3: No, they work all right. But it's like they're frightened of something. I want to look at your employment records.
5: Well, sure thing. Uh, right in that file drawer. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it uh, certainly is odd, Dollar. Every one of the men killed was alone at the time. No witnesses at all.
3: Oh, really? That's something you neglected to tell me on my first visit here, Mr. Barrett. It
5: uh, slipped my mind.
3: Ah, it seems several other things slipped your mind.
5: What do you mean? Well,
3: like a little communication I found on the bulletin board in the locker room.
5: What communication? To
3: the effect that due to various conditions beyond our control, layoffs will be necessary in some cases, and men will be laid off consistent with their seniority.
5: Now, now what possible connection could that have with the five deaths?
3: You had the answer to that question, but I had to find it out on my own. I don't call that active cooperation, Mr. Barrett.
5: What's that, uh... The five General?
3: men were killed in order of seniority. The killer, whoever he is, obviously is scared to death of losing his job. According to your files, the next man slate of accidental death is another first helper, Mike Baroldi. Now, you knew all that. Why didn't you speak
5: up? Why well, I don't know. It, it never hit me is particularly important. You
3: know Cornell Steele isn't laying
5: off anybody right now. Maybe you're trying to scare the men into more work. And I
3: doubt if that's company policy, Mr. Barrett.
5: You have your job to do, Dollar. That's to find this killer. I have my job to do. That's to boost production.
3: Is that all right for you? Perfectly all right. And I'll take my job any day. Right. Yeah? Come here.
6: What? The delayed word, chatting. Okay.
3: I just blocked it with manganese for the tap, darling. I can't waste no time. Look, this won't take long. Mike, you're on somebody's death list, you know that? What are you talking about? I'm with the plant insurance company investigating the five deaths that occurred here in the last month. According to my figures, you're next. Nah, <laughs> cut it out. It's not just a matter of accident, Mike. It's murder. You're the highest man in the shop and seniority outside of the Meltzer Foreman. Somebody is knocking off the top of the list one by one. So just watch your step. I believe it when I see it. When you see it, Mike, it's going to be too late. At night toward the end of the shift, must have been about six in the morning, Mike was cleaning cinders from the furnace floor on the hole side. I was making it my business to keep an eye on him. He was sweeping the cinders off the platform down into the empty ladle set 30 feet below. As a first helper, it wasn't his job, but Mike was like that. Suddenly from the other side of the furnace came the huge figure of a man in an asbestos cloak and hood over his head and body. Mike turned, and a look of terror came into his face. They started for him, but too late. Whoever it was picked Mike up, held him aloft for a split second, and hurled him to his death.
2: Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: They gathered around the body of Mike Baroldi and I gave chase to the killer. It was like running after a brown ghost. He ducked up the aisle between furnaces and hopped gingerly over the coupling of a train of cold strats. I wasn't so lucky. I climbed up, but my foot got caught in a coupling guide, and I fell on my face. The next thing I remember, I was in the plant inspector's office. He was dismayed. He took one gander at my noggin and launched into lecture 1A of the safety inspector's manual.
2: And look at this one. Another example. Look at his head. You're lucky to be alive. What rule did you break? Uh, Section 3, Code 2. Don't you be funny with me.
3: You know, I could have you fired, you know. I'll bet you could. What have you found out about Mike Baroldi? I filled in a full report. Poor man fell over the railing while cleaning the platform. Not quite. What? He was pushed. Pushed? Who pushed him? I don't know. The killer had an asbestos cloak and hood over him. A killer? This is worse than I thought. You got a skeleton key to the lockers? I want to see Mike's belongings. Look,
2: just who do you think you are?
3: I'm with the Grand Insurance Company, mister. You give me the key, and I think we can have this thing straightened out in no time. He was so stunned, he sent me to the open-heart production office where I got a key. The locker room was empty. I went to Mike Baroldi's locker first. I found his wallet with a pass to the plant in it and $3 in cash. There was a picture of a woman holding a baby. I put the wallet back, looked through the inside pocket of his coat, empty. I closed the locker and started a methodical search of each locker in the place. About two-thirds down the first row, I came to a locker labeled Andre La Maire. I opened it and found what I was looking for, an asbestos cloak and hood. There had been a tear on the sleeve of the cloak worn by the man who had killed Mike Baroldi. I took the cloak with me, locked up, and walked down the aisle to the door. Somebody was coming in just as I was coming out. It was Joe, Big Joe Poland.
7: What you do here, nosy?
3: Aren't you supposed to be at work? I feel sick. Where's Andre? Andre work. Number 10? Like always, number 10. you nosy feller. I get nosier. Did you ever see this asbestos cloak before? Sure. It used to blow a topple when they put out new heat. You seen it lately, like on somebody? Sure, Andre, he yeah, have on coat. When? Before. Before what? I don't know, before. All right, thanks, Joe. See you later. Yeah. You tell Andre Joe Sig. Joe go home. I'll tell him, Joe. Yeah. Hey, hey, wait. Inspector say Mike Baroldi pushed from rail. That's right. How he know? I told him. How you know? I saw it. You see Andre push Mike, huh? What makes you think it was Andre? Andre Batsalver. He don't like this Mike. Always make trouble for this Mike. And you don't like Andre? Sure, I don't like Andre. Why you think I tell you? Did you see Andre? I see him go to Furnace where Mike is. Oh, oh, stomach too big. You go on home, Joe. You don't look so good. As far as I was concerned, there were two main possibilities, two big boys. One was Joe Poland. The other was Andre Lemaire. I stuck the asbestos cloak that I found in Andre's locker in the production office where I could get to it later. The sun had come up, and Andre was standing there, enjoying the fresh air before going down to the locker room. Hello, Della. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful day. That man should have to bury himself in this dirt and feel when all the world is so beautiful. That is the shame. No. Yeah, that's right, Andre. You going home now? Yeah, I go
6: home now. Yes.
3: Oh, I have wonderful, wonderful uh, suggestion. Wonderful suggestion. You come home with me, eh? Huh? We have good French meal. You like good French food? Yeah, sounds great. Your wife won't mind. Sure, she mind. But who care for the wife? Ah, come. <laughs> your name, monsieur? Johnny Dollar. <laughs> funny name. Ah, you have no sense. Woman, you do not tell a man he has funny name. I'm sorry, monsieur. Oh, think nothing of it. You work at Mill? That's right. He will make a wonderful worker. A very good man because he know, he think, he use his head. Oh, I forget, Marie. The most terrible thing has happened. What? We know Mac Baroldi. Mac, tall, long, thin, little hair. Well, Mike... Is pushed from rail and killed. No! Kill. Oh, terrible, terrible. You see it, no, Dollar? Yeah, I saw it. Somebody do it. Somebody. They catch him, boy. Andre, I think it's about time I let you in on a little secret. I'm with an insurance company. I'm investigating these murders. Huh? I found an asbestos cloak in your locker today. I have no asbestos cloak. I saw him. I killed, Andre. The killer wore this cloak. The cloak was in your locker. Maybe you'd better take it from there. You say I killed Mike?
5: You tell me this?
3: I take you to my house?
6: You say terrible things to me like this? You lie to me. You say you're a friend of mine.
3: You leave. You leave. Leave! Well, there goes some nice French cooking. <laughs> Friends account, item 6, 25 cents for coffee and donuts at a corner cafe. I kicked myself a couple of times for breaking out the evidence before I should have. Then I went back to the open-heart office. Barrett had just arrived. He greeted me with a frown that reminded me of the last conversation we'd had.
5: Well, Dollar, have you found anything else? You heard what happened early this morning? About Mike, yes. Yes. I thought you had it all figured
3: out. Well, I still haven't. I chased the killer across the shop, but he got away. I see. No, you don't see. He had an asbestos cloak and hood over him.
5: Pretty clever fellow. Yeah,
3: I'm pretty big. I've got it narrowed down, but that doesn't help much.
5: I suppose you've come to look through the files again, just so you can tell who's going to be killed next.
3: Maybe it'll be different this time, Mr. Barrett. I think I'll just take that seniority list with me, if I may. I'm, uh... I'm going to go home and get some sleep.
5: How do you like the night shift?
3: It's anything but dull, Mr. Barrett. I'll see you later.
4: the
3: account, Adam seven, $1 even, cab fed, a boarding house, to which a surprise taxi driver chauffeured his first overall customer in what must have been years. Did I study the list in the cab? I did not. I grabbed a little sleep. The driver shook me awake. I paid him, went upstairs, and flopped in the cot. Then I opened the paper. The next name on the list was none other than Andre Lemire. Expense account item eight seventy five cents taxi fare. I got to Andre's in ten minutes. I was twenty minutes too late. The police were out front.
5: Dead. He's dead.
3: They killed him. Who killed him, Mrs. LaMere? Killed him. Killed him. who? Who, Mrs. Lemay? The
5: man, the big man. He killed him.
3: Sergeant, take your
5: <laughs>
3: in. I'm sorry, Mrs. Lemay. <laughs> Spencer Count, item eight, cab fare to plant. I tried to tell myself that there was nothing I could have done, that everything had pointed to Andre. But I'd seen his name on the seniority list, right below Mike Baroldi's. I'd drawn too many conclusions. It was clear now the asbestos cloak in Andre's locker had been a frame. Maybe insurance investigators shouldn't make mistakes, but they do, and sometimes fatal ones. I could lay the blame for Andre's death on nobody but myself. Myself and a big first helper named Joe Poland. Where's Poland, Barrett?
5: Why, I don't know. He got sick. We sent him home.
3: What's his address?
5: I have it right here in my book. Well,
3: bring it with you. You and I are paying a visit to Joe Poland.
5: I hope you have a gun, Dollar.
3: Just in case. Knock. You better stand back.
0: Yeah.
3: Mrs. Poland?
0: Yeah.
3: Is your husband home? No. Where from the mills. This is Mr. Barrett.
0: Huh?
3: Where can we find your husband, Mrs. Poland? He's not home. Mind if we come in and see? He's
1: not home. Go in. He's not I'm
3: sorry, home. Mrs. Poland. We'll have to make sure. You stop. You try that door, Barrett. Uh, I think you'd better try it You now. go. Right.
6: You go. I
3: you. He's not here, Barrett.
6: He's not home. I told you. He's not home.
3: Mrs. Poland, you may not know it. Your husband is wanted for murder.
5: Murder?
3: Yeah. Now, come on. Tell us where he is.
5: You from Mills? I tell you nothing. Uh, uh, Look, Mrs. Pullman, be reasonable. Reasonable. You be reasonable. Five kids. Be reasonable. This place be reasonable. Mills be reasonable.
0: That's it. You go.
5: Come
3: on, Barrett. You must have a peculiar theory of management, Barrett. I've been in dozens of plants, and I've never seen anybody loved like you are. What do you do to them?
5: My theory of management is very simple. Men work better when the pressure's on. There it is, cruel but true. I have the top production result in the plant. You can't beat that.
3: How did you ever get off a bookkeeper's stool and into a mill? How did you ever get to be a supervisor? I'd like to meet the man that hired you.
5: (coughs) I give you ten days as a supervisor in the steel mills, Dollar. You'd change your opinions fast. Men are no different now than they ever were. Give them an inch, they take a mile. Give them five minutes off, they take an hour. Let them out of your sight for a minute, and they're playing cards in a corner.
3: You know, men are more than figures on a production chart. Could that be why you lost a lot of good first helpers, Barrett?
5: Uh, One maniac runs loose, and you condemn the whole method. Ah, sorry, Dollar. You've got a lot to learn about the practical management. You'd better just stick to investigation. And from the way you've messed this case up, I'd say you were the one who had a lot to learn in his field.
3: We rode back to the plant without a word. It wasn't just anger. There was so much difference between us, there was just nothing to say. Barrett got off and said he'd call the police if I had proof that Joe Poland was the killer. I said I didn't have any proof and for him to call the police anyhow. I took the stairs to the furnace floor. I knew Poland would be there. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. I wandered from furnace shanty to furnace shanty. I found him at number 12. He was cleaning out the clay of the tap hole before the floor. Joe? Yeah?
6: Take off the hood. What? Come on, Joe, it's all over. Go no, good, dollar. Nobody takes job away from Joe. You see the list? I' on top of list now, dollar. I' top of list now. Nobody takes job away. My kids, my wife, they be good now. None live that. I get big raise now. I' top of list. But don't fire me, eh? Stay away,
4: Joe.
6: Joe, I'll shoot.
3: And then he came at me again as steady as before. The small trickles of blood started down his chest. Stop, Joe! his legs this time. He gripped it once, then let go. There was no expression of pain on his face, just determination. I was the last man in his way. After I was gone, he had a clear road, furious. Then he me was on his huge hands, gripping Dollar, my throat. I Below me, I could feel stop the stop freshly poured steel I, bubbling in his You Then I shot again. Down. Close <laughs> quarters this time, and right for the heart. Slowly, the hands relaxed. A huge body slumped over the railing and fell. There was a hiss and puff of steam. I stood up. My legs were trembling under me. I looked down, shielding my face. There was nothing to see. The slag had covered over. $20.53, $20.53, flowers for Joe Poland's funeral. They buried a block of steel in place of his body. Barrett was standing there, standing to one side, and Mrs. Poland and Mrs. Brody and Mrs. LaMere. When the minister finished his little speech, Mrs. Poland turned to Barrett. I've never seen hate like that in anyone's eyes.
0: He us. You killed him you killed him, Barrett. You killed them all. You still kill them. They'll all die of your own. Come on, someday, Mrs.
1: Poland,
6: come on. That isn't going to Madame.
4: Oh,
6: Hi
3: Marilla
0: LaMere. let me take you home. When
3: Mrs. Poland went home with the woman whose husband Joe had killed. And I wondered who are the murderers and where does murder start. Though I don't like to see anyone lose his job, I like petty Simon Legrees even less. So I'm pleased to report that Joel Barrett has been replaced as supervisor. I finally concluded that if you trace a murder far enough, you get right back to every one of them. Expense account total $520.25. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
2: was truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien and was written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Lee Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in the Harry M. Popkin United Artists production, D.O.A. Featured in our cast were Joe Forte, Junius Matthews, Jack Petruzzi, Raymond Burr, Jack Crucian, Kay Stewart, and Peggy Weber. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us again next week when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien will return in another transcribed adventure of yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: Stay tuned for The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for that married couple known simply as Ozzie and Harriet, and a program that first aired in 1950.
8: Hello, folks. This is Harriet Nelson. The weather's sure getting nice lately, isn't it? Nice weather for strolling in the park or rowing on the lake or for just sitting around the house taking it easy and having a nice leisurely snack. Meaning, of course, Heinz cream of tomato soup. (laughs)
9: it's Heinz. The H.J. Heinz Company, makers of 57 varieties of fine foods for 80 years, present the amusing prescribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet starring America's favorite young couple Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard.
7: Pretty quiet around the Nelson house this afternoon. I wonder where the family is. Oh, there they are in the living room. David and Ricky are taping up an old baseball bat. And there's Ozzie sprawled out on the couch reading the paper. Oh, I don't see Harriet, though.
8: Hey, what happened to this living room? Oh, hi, Mom. What do you mean, what happened to it? It looks like a cyclone struck it.
9: What's this? Well,
8: oh, that's what I'd like to know. Look at this room. Things all over the place. I leave the house for five minutes and look what happened. Your
9: mother's absolutely right, boys. Place looks like a mess. Come on now, pick up these things of yours. Papa! Go on now, I'm reading.
8: Whose old jacket is this? Not mine. Not mine? Well, it certainly isn't mine. Ozzie? Ozzie? Hmm? Does this jacket belong to you by any chance? Oh, yes. Where'd you find that? Right here on my good chair.
9: Ricky, were you wearing my jacket this morning?
4: No,
8: sir. And who belongs to these wool socks? Not me. Not me. I'm afraid they're a little too big for me. (laughs) Ozzy.
9: Oh, I'm sorry. What is it?
8: I think it's an old pair of socks. Oh, yes.
9: They're my good golfing socks. Where'd you find those?
8: Under my good chair. Ricky,
9: were you playing hide-and-seek with my golf socks?
8: Heck no. And who had an extra cup of coffee? Not me. I wish I could say yes.
9: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I guess I did, Harriet. (laughs) Yes, I'm guilty this time.
4: This time? (laughs) Look,
8: it's not bad enough to have a cup and saucer around the living room. There's still half the coffee in it.
9: Have but I hardly drank any of it. Ricky, did you buy any? Change? Not me,
6: Pop. I'm not allowed to drink coffee.
9: You sure you didn't drink any of it?
4: Honest, Pop. It had too much sugar in it. <laughs>
8: okay. And look at these papers scattered all over here.
4: We have looked at them, Mom. <laughs>
8: so I gather. Well, who was looking at them last? Not me, not me. And I know I will. Okay, Harriet,
9: will you stop accusing me? <laughs>
8: I'm not accusing you. Just that all the evidence seems to point in your direction.
9: Goodness sakes, can't a man relax in his own home? Of course. Okay, I left my coat on the chair. Is that so terrible? And a pair of socks on the floor. And a, a coffee cup on the table. And, and a few newspapers scattered around. Go on. What do you mean, go on?
8: And mud tracks all over the hall rug and ties hanging on the back of the chair. Shall I go on?
9: That won't be necessary. I get the point. Let this be a good lesson to you, boys.
8: What do you mean, Pa? It's simple, David. If you're going to mess up the house, you
4: better do it in somebody else's.
8: (laughs) That isn't
9: exactly what I had in mind. You guys are going to get married one of these days. You might as well learn now that a woman is always right.
8: Not always. Only when the man is wrong.
9: I suppose I was wrong
4: I saw this in a movie once
9: <laughs> What are you talking about?
8: Well, this man and his wife had a big argument
9: We're not having a big argument
8: Of course not, there's nothing to argue about Your father has to stop leaving his things lying around the house and that's all there is to it
9: And your mother has to start letting me enjoy life a little and that's all there is to it
4: In the movie there is a lot more to it Well, that's
9: the movie I realize that I'm not destined to win So I'm just going quietly out the front door That's known as taking the easy way out
8: In the movie, the man took this blonde out Never
4: mind It was a good picture, boy
9: Okay, okay
4: She sure was a good-looking blonde Well, I'll, I'll I'll see you later Hey, wait
8: a minute How about straightening some of this up?
9: Okay, what would you like me to do?
8: Well, you can put your coat away, and here are your socks. And on your way out, you can drop this cup and saucer off at the kitchen.
9: Is there anything else?
8: Well, as long as you ask me, yes, there is. If you're going downtown, do you mind if I suggest that you get yourself a haircut? No, I don't
9: mind at all.
8: Then I do suggest it.
9: However, don't be too surprised if I don't follow your suggestion.
8: Oh, but you really do need a haircut. Harriet, there are certain
9: little decisions a man likes to make for himself. (laughs) I'll get a haircut when I feel like it, and I don't happen to feel like it this afternoon.
7: Okay, you're next, Mr. Nelson. Thanks, Bob. Sorry to keep you waiting. It's been busy like this all afternoon. Oh, that's fine. I guess hair must be growing faster now that summer's almost here.
9: Yeah, I guess so. Well,
7: sit right down. Terribly sorry you had to wait. As I say, it's been busy like this all afternoon. Oh, that's perfectly all right. You're sure now? You, you seem a little upset. Oh, no, no.
9: It isn't about that, Bob.
7: Oh, well, that's good.
9: Or is it bad? Uh, it's just one of life's little problems. What? Uh, what seems to be worrying you? Well, it's my... Well, oh, that is, it's, uh... It's this, uh, this friend of mine. You mean he's trying to move in on you? No, 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 no. It's, uh... Well, you see, uh... Well, this fellow's wife has been nagging him. If he leaves his coat on a chair or his socks on the floor, anything at all, she makes life miserable for him.
7: Oh, that's bad. I used to have the same trouble. That is, a friend of mine used to. <laughs> I mean, used to. Well, you don't think he'd let a thing like that go on, do you? Well, how could he stop it? Well, I don't know about your friend, but my friend just plain put his foot down. He showed her who was boss. Well,
9: yeah, but that doesn't always work.
7: It's always worth a try. You just can't sit around and take it. you got to be a man of action. Oh, I suppose so. Now, this friend of mine, his wife wanted children, lots of them. Well, would have kept him broke, supporting them all. So he asserted himself. One child, that's all, he said. And and it worked, huh? Well, it would have. Only his wife came home from the hospital with twins.
4: <laughs> no
7: kidding. Oh, that's right. I haven't seen you in quite a while, have I? Here, have a couple of cigars on me. Now, wait a minute, you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. Could <laughs> I help it if I do things in a big way? <laughs>
4: I guess
9: not. Yeah, they're good cigars. No, 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 that's okay. Now go ahead, they're imported. Well, I'm sure they're very good, but tell you the truth, I don't smoke cigars.
7: Believe me, Mr. Nelson, these are fine smokes. I'll just put a couple in your coat pocket. And here's another one for good luck. Yeah, okay. And remember to tell your friend my advice. Don't let him be pushed around. It's his home just as much as his wife's.
9: Well, yeah, I know. Be
7: a man of action like me. You'll get results. Well, those aren't exactly the kind of results that... Well, that is that my
9: friend is looking
4: for. Well,
7: no matter what result you're looking for, I always say a man has got to assert himself every once in a while. Yeah, I guess you're right at that. Hey, are you sure you want a haircut? Of course, I'm happy to get the business, but you don't really need one.
9: Oh, well, I, I might as well. My wife... I mean, that is, uh, I I like it kind of short in the warm weather. Okay, you're the doctor.
8: Ozzy? Just us, Mom. Boy, some sure smells good. Oh, thank you. We're having lamb tonight. Oh, boy. And I baked a nice apple pie, too. Are we having company for dinner? No, dear. I just thought I'd give your father a special treat this evening. How come? Oh, I just think I was a little unfair to him this afternoon. I want to try and make it up to him. Do you need any help, Mom? Well, it would be nice if you boys went out of your way to make him feel right at home.
4: Should we start scattering the newspapers around? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think
8: we need to go that far. We'll just bring him his slippers and make him comfortable. After all, a man's home is his castle. Oh, don't worry, Mom. We'll treat him like a king. Harriet? In the living room, dear. Hi, Pop.
9: Oh, hello, fellas.
8: Sit down, Pop. Make yourself homely. <laughs>
9: well, thank you. We're
8: having your favorite dinner tonight. Leg of lamb.
9: Oh, that's fine.
8: And apple pie, too.
9: Oh, sounds very good.
8: Why don't you relax on the sofa, dear? Put your feet up.
9: I think I'd better warn you. I took the shortcut and tracked quite a bit of mud in on the hall rug.
8: Oh, that's perfectly all right. I'll clean it later. I'll do it for you, Mom. Let me do it. No, never mind, boys. Why don't you hang up your father's coat for him? Oh, sure. I'll help you take it off, Pop. Well, no, that won't be... Careful, Ricky. You dropped something. Hey, where'd you get the cigars, Pop? What's that? Couple of cigars Oh,
9: oh, oh, It's just the... Uh... Well,
8: Ozzy, I didn't know you smoked cigars Well, no, I, I don't I don't mind them, honestly Well, well that's very nice Oh, for goodness sake, dear, this is silly If you want to smoke a cigar now and then There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it right in your own home
4: <laughs> Harriet,
8: you've
9: never seen me smoke a cigar,
8: have you? I know it I shouldn't wonder that you'd be afraid to After the way I've been fussing at you lately I wish I could smoke one, boy.
4: <laughs>
8: Ricky, you give that to me and get me a match.
4: Guy, are you going to smoke it, Mom? Huh? Of
8: course not. Your father
9: is. Now, now, wait a minute, Harriet.
8: Here's your slippers, Pop. Well, this looks like a beautiful cigar. But, Harriet, I
9: don't smoke cigars. Honestly, I don't.
8: <laughs> I'll even light it for you. There, how's that for service?
9: Well,
6: that's fine. <coughs> <coughs> Dolly, look at all the smoke. Well, <coughs> it, it's fine, David. It's <coughs> I
8: better see about the leg of the <coughs> Gee, are you all right,
6: Pop? <coughs> Sounds like something stuck in his throat. <coughs> Maybe it's a cigar. <coughs>
4: Tell your mother,
6: I
9: just stepped out with some fresh air.
7: I'm sure we all know lots of men who are just naturally the cigar smoking type. Unfortunately, however, Ozzie Nelson is not one of them. Look at him, staggering down the front steps with the smoldering cheroot hanging limply between his fingers. He stares thoughtfully at the cigar for a moment. He glances back at the house. Now he looks at the cigar again. He looks back at the house. He looks at the cigar. He takes a firm grip on it. He looks back at the house
9: and then at the street. Now he's winding up for the pitch. Hey, huh? Oh, oh, hello, Thorny.
1: What are you doing?
9: Uh, uh, nothing.
2: Hey, since when did you start smoking cigars?
9: No, I haven't. Uh, this was forced on me by my barber. His wife just had twins. Now, if you stand back, I'm going to see how far I can throw it. Well, but, Oz, that's practically a whole cigar. Give me room, Thorny. But you can't throw that away. You've hardly smoked it. Thorny, this is strictly a matter of self-defense. A cigar happens to be stronger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> now, just a second. Hold my arm. You can't throw away that cigar. I can if you let me go. Be reasonable, Oz. It was a gift from your Bob. If you don't want it, you had no right to accept it. I had no choice. I couldn't insult the man. Besides, he had a razor in his hand. Well, I enjoy a cigar now and then. Fine. Here you are, Thorne. He gave me three of them, and I'll be very happy to let you have the other two. Oh, thanks, Oz. Hey, you're welcome to them, I can assure you.
1: I think I'll smoke one right now. Catherine doesn't care much for cigars.
9: Well, I hope not. No, I mean, she doesn't like the smell of them.
1: Personally, I find a good cigar
7: very satisfying.
9: It certainly doesn't object to him. She practically jammed this one down my throat.
7: Well, she's very thoughtful of her.
9: I'm glad you think so.
7: Oh, it is.
9: There aren't many women who would allow their husbands to smoke cigars in the house, much less encourage it. Now, look, Thorny, in the first place, it was all a mistake. Harriet found the cigars in my coat pocket and jumped to the wrong conclusion.
7: So now I suppose you're going to take the bloom off a thoughtful gesture by telling her that you don't like cigars. Well, of course
9: I'm going to tell her. Why shouldn't I?
7: If I were you, I'd walk back in the house with that half-smoked cigar and at least let Harriet have the pleasure of thinking you're enjoying yourself.
9: Well, yes, I suppose I could do that. Why, certainly. You don't want her to feel ridiculous. After all, she was only trying to make you feel comfortable in your own home.
7: Well, that's true.
9: I must admit I have been a bit unreasonable lately. Messing up the house, leaving stuff around. You know, women like things neat and tidy, especially Harriet.
10: I'll tell you, why don't you hurry back to the barbershop and get a
9: shine and a manicure? Oh, I don't think that's necessary. No, but maybe I'd get a few more cigars out of it. (laughs) Ozzy? Oh, yes, dear. I was just outside enjoying my cigar.
8: But I told you, you don't have to go outside to smoke. Oh, I, I
9: know that. I was just talking to Thorny.
8: You know, a cigar makes you look very masculine and mature. It's really quite becoming.
9: Oh, thank you. I- I'm glad you like it.
8: Gives you a certain air of confidence and assurance.
9: It gives me a certain
8: air, all right. Here you are, Mom. Well, that was quick work, David. What's this? A little surprise for you, dear. I hope you like
4: them.
9: Oh, boy, a, a whole box of cigars.
8: <laughs> Pa The boys just ran down To the store and got them Are they the right brand? They're the same kind You're smoking
9: Well how I, I mean Yes I, I guess they, they look fine
8: <laughs> Sit down And enjoy a cigar Their Dinner's not quite ready
4: Sure sit down Relax Pa
9: Okay Stop pushing Say <laughs> so, this looks like A nice one uh,
8: <clears throat> Here's the ashtray Here's another cigar.
9: Oh, wait a minute. I just started to smoke this one.
8: Well, you haven't even lit it yet. Well,
9: anticipating the smoke is one of the pleasures of smoking.
8: I'll light it for you. I do? I'll go see about dinner. Are you comfortable,
4: Pa? Yes,
6: right,
10: David.
4: <coughs>
6: <laughs>
9: uh why don't you open a window, David Kate?
4: Okay? <laughs> Getting a little
9: stuffy in here.
4: How about another cigar, Pop? No, I've got one in my hand, Ricky. You haven't got one in your other hand.
9: I'm using that to fan away. Thank you, one cigar is plenty.
4: The sooner you smoke them, the sooner you get another box.
9: Believe me, Ricky, I appreciate your interest in my happiness.
4: We get prizes for the wrappers.
9: Oh, so that's it.
4: If we get 50 cigar bands, we get a catcher's
9: mitt. Kind of thought there was a catch in there somewhere.
4: Yeah, they got a lot of neat stuff
8: there.
9: Oh, that's nice.
8: How long will it take you to smoke 50 cigars?
9: Uh, Quite a while, I'm afraid. Look, fellas, if you'll excuse me for a minute, I want to run over and have a word with Mr. Thornberry.
8: I put some cigars in your coat pocket if you want to smoke. Oh,
9: thanks, David.
8: Save
4: the wrappers.
9: Yes, yes, I will. Tell your mother I'll be back in a few minutes.
8: Okay, Pa. Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? Don't forget your cigar.
9: Oh, uh, uh, just uh, toss it out the window. I'll pick it up as I walk by. Oh, hello, Oz. Thorny, would you step out here for a moment, please? Okay. What's up? My blood pressure. You and your ideas. I've done something wrong? Thorny, what always happens when I take your advice?
4: <laughs> exactly,
9: and it happened again. What happened? Remember you told me to pretend I really like cigars so Harriet's feelings wouldn't get hurt? Yeah. She just gave me a whole box of them. Now what do I do?
10: Well, that doesn't sound like much of a hardship to
9: me. Well, it is to me. Now every time I open my mouth, somebody sticks a cigar in it. <laughs> see it, you haven't got much of a problem at all. You have a box of cigars and you don't like cigars. Am I right? Go on. Well, since I'm your best friend, I'm going to be a big man and take them off your hands. <laughs> You're welcome to them. Here, you can have all these in my pocket. Oh, thanks. Got a match? Here. <laughs> these cigars are very nice.
0: I've always said it's an ill wind that blows nobody good.
9: Please blow the ill wind somewhere else, will you, are <laughs>
8: seem to eat very much dinner.
9: Oh, I had plenty, thanks.
8: Okay, dear, go ahead. What do you mean? Oh, stop pretending. I know you're dying to get in the other room and have a cigar.
9: No, 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 no. It, it, it's very nice just to sit here at the table.
4: Come on, Pop, have a cigar.
9: Look, Ricky, I'll buy you a catcher's mitt.
4: <laughs> Harriet,
9: you boys, there's something I'd like to tell you.
8: Yes, I know, dear. You want a cigar? No, I
9: don't want a cigar. David,
8: get your father's cigar.
9: Here's three of them. But Harry, honestly, I don't want a. Fr- Ricky, for
6: goodness' sake, you want to choke me?
8: Go <laughs> on, have a smoke, pa. Okay, okay. You see, if you don't have an after dinner cigar, you're irritable.
6: I am not irritable. I'm very cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, bit
8: a cigar in half. Here's another one, Pop.
10: Oh, I'll get it. Do you want your slippers, dear? No, no, thank you, Harriet. I'm fine. Uh, Good evening, everybody. I hope I didn't interrupt your dinner. Oh, Oh, hello,
8: Dr. Brown. No, we just finished. Oh,
10: fine. I dropped by mainly to see you, Mr. Nelson. Me? Yes. uh, Mr. Thornberry's a very good friend of yours, isn't he? Yes, that's right. Is something wrong with Thorny, Doctor? Oh, nothing too serious. His wife asked me to stop in and have a look at him. Is he sick? Well, he was when I looked at him. <laughs> His face had a greenish tinge. His eyes were rather glassy. He seemed upset and didn't have much of an appetite. Say, that that sounds serious to me. Oh, not really. I'm afraid Mr. Thornberry's just been smoking too much.
8: Thorny? He hardly ever smokes.
10: Well, evidently, he's been doing quite a bit of it lately. I thought Mr. Nelson could kind of keep an eye on him and see that he cuts down on the cigars. Well, I'll try. Well, he promised to quit, but I think you'll be all right if he just tapers off. Well, I'll I'll, uh, uh, sure do what I can. (coughs) Well, fine, Mr. Nelson. I knew you'd be glad to help. Oh, sure. (coughs) I'll be running along now.
8: I'm happy you told us, doctor.
9: (laughs) Yes, you've got to watch that smoking.
10: (coughs) You'd better do something about that cold, Mr. Nelson. Oh, this isn't exactly a cold. (coughs) Oh, sounds pretty bad. Here, let's have a look at you here in the light.
9: I think I'm looking pretty green. What is it, Doctor?
10: How have you been feeling lately, Mr. Nelson?
9: Uh, not too good. Like I say, I, I've been kind of green and and and, and sort of upset, and uh, I haven't had much of an appetite. this cough. What do you think, Doctor?
8: Doctor, do you think he's just been smoking too much?
10: Smoking? Mr. Nelson doesn't smoke.
8: Oh, but I, but I have been lately.
10: Oh, well, in that case, I'd say Mrs. Nelson was quite right. He, you and Mr. Thornberry seem to have the same symptoms.
9: You mean then you think I, I ought to quit smoking
10: my cigars? Oh, we don't have to be that drastic. Right? I'm sure you're not a heavy smoker. Oh,
9: I don't know. I got that box of cigars today. You can see for yourself it's almost half empty.
10: Oh, Ozzie. Well, that's going at it pretty strong, Mr. Nelson. Well, when I smoke, I really smoke. (laughs) I think it'd be best if I just quit. Well, it's not as easy as it sounds, you know. Why not just limit yourself to three or four a day?
9: No, sir, I've decided to quit smoking, and I'll stick to it.
10: Well,
8: do you really want to quit, Ozzy?
10: Believe me, Harriet, I haven't the faintest desire to light a cigar. Well, it seems a shame to waste all the rest of those cigars, though. (laughs) Really nothing better than a good cigar now and then. Well, why don't you take them, Dr. Brown? Oh, well, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Still, it might be best to remove any temptation.
4: Well, sure.
9: <laughs> Go ahead, take them, Doctor.
10: Well, I will. Uh, thank you very much. That's perfectly all right. You mind if I light one up? No, no, no. Go right ahead. Hmm. <laughs> <coughs> I'll be running along. I think you'll be all right now, Mr. Nelson. I'm sure I will. Thanks, Doctor. Oh, well, thanks again for the cigar. Don't mention it.
8: Aren't you ashamed of yourself? What do you mean? You didn't fool me in the least. You were just trying to find an excuse to give up smoking those cigars.
9: Oh, Harriet, why should I suddenly give up smoking cigars after all these years?
8: You never smoked one before in your life, and you know it. Well, you said so yourself. I
9: figured you wouldn't want cigar
8: ashes around the house, so I've been a sneaky smoker. Isn't that what you said? Look, dear, we've been married for 15 years. The first thing a wife learns is to go through her husband's pockets, and I've never found a cigar there yet. (laughs) Well, then why did you insist?
9: Oh, never mind.
8: Come on, you can help me with the dishes.
9: Okay, Uh, just a minute.
8: Hey, where'd you get that cigar?
9: You don't think I gave them all to Dr. Brown, do you? Confidentially, I'm beginning to
4: like them. (laughs)
9: Say, Harriet, as long as I'm smoking cigars now, would you pick up a few things for me when you go downtown?
8: Of course. What do you want me to get?
9: Oh, some more cigars, a smoking jacket, and a humidor.
8: Let's see now. Okay. Cigars, smoking jacket, humidor, and hiking boots. Hiking boots? Well, certainly. You don't think you're going to smoke those cigars in the house, do you? (laughs)
9: By the H. J. Heinz Company and starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard.
8: And remember, Heinz soups are condensed. You get twice as much soup by adding an equal part of milk or water. That suits me fine. Me too. I like a lot,
2: boy. Appearing
9: in support of Ozzy and Harriet were their two sons, David and Ricky Nelson, John Brown, Frank Nelson, Herb Vigran, and yours truly, Vern Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. So long, folks. This is Ozzy saying goodnight for the four Nelsons and the 57 varieties.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.